Welcome to this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. We have a guest that we've actually had on before and up to very recently was in fact our most downloaded guest. So we thought we'd bring bring him back on. Yes, we have uh, the famous David CP from Denmark, uh, bow hunter, rifle hunter, all round good guy, a friend of mine. And I've just spent the weekend with him uh, at a, sh- a shooting event actually in his home country of Denmark. Uh, which was very good fun all around and you are about to hear a little bit about what that event uh, was and what we did there and why you should practice more if you're a hunter exactly we've got some pretty cool stuff lots to talk about in this week's show it will all be in the title the it will be do you know actually to be quite honest we didn't have any no, no idea plan. what we were going to talk about with david when I was with him this weekend, we were talking about so many different things, thing, uh, experiences he had had recently, trips he had done. And I said to him, you know what, this week we need to record yep, a podcast. Just, uh, just do a podcast. We'll just do it. <laughs> but we do have a few things on this week. So this weekend for us is the Schoon Game Fair in Perth. So if you see either of us around, come and say hello. We will be on or loitering around the Not, Scottish Association yeah. for Country Sports stand. We won't be on it the whole time, uh, but we will be announcing... Because th- this is the fair that we get to relax at. So yeah. on, on the Saturday, we will just be probably wandering around. Yeah. But but you will be you able will, to find us there, and will. our series will be playing on the TV on their stand. Ooh, well, no, I, did, did Darryl, did no, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it uh, will be. But that goes straight into the next bit. Our episode three of our series, Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness, is out now. It is. And you can find it on YouTube. It is. Just search Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness. It is episode three. Or go on www.thepacebrothers.com and everything is there. All the podcasts, all of the series, any news. Uh, it also has content of other shows or articles that we've either been in or uh, been written about. or yeah. like And that. there's a blog as well, which... It's pretty sparse at the minute, but I will be filling it up. We are we are working on that. We have a competition winner uh, for this week, and you're winning the the Bushnell the Bushnell head torch. Head torch. And we're going to tell you at the end of the show who it is. Yes, we are. And <laughs> at the end of the show, we are also going to tell you what you can win this week. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that at the end of the show then. Yeah. Um, or do you want to do it now? Okay, let's do it now. Okay, this is what you can win. To wet, this week. wet the appetite. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the show... Because at the end of the show, because then we'll tell them how they win it. Okay. At the end of the show, you will find out who won last week's. But for now, we're going to tell you what you can win this week. Uh, I was, uh, we've got a couple of things here, and I'm trying to decide which, uh, which to you give You can bring first. them out for the people watching on YouTube. Yeah. We've got, in the next three weeks, we have a set of shooting sticks from Coldwell. Sorry, I'm having to lean into the box to get each thing. A bipod from Caldwell. So actually, you know what? This ties in perfectly with today's show because it's all about making sure you do a better job of practicing yes. while you're hunting. Mm-hmm. So both of these are aids to make sure that you hunt and uh, shoot better while you're hunting. So bipod, shooting sticks, and we also have a Spyderco knife. You're not going to win those all this week, but one of these. What do you think, Dale? Take, I take your pick. Th- I think... I think it should be the, the bipod. Okay, bipod. Yeah. So this week we are giving away a Coldwell EXLA bipod, nine inches to thirteen inches, and it's the pivot model. I have actually used this one, and this the is the pi- one that you can move if yeah, you're not you in a hundred percent the position, and yeah. it and it twists the yeah the yeah, yeah. It tilts yeah. Uh, left and right, which is um, 
really, really useful. The, the static ones, I, I actually stopped using them because you couldn't adjust properly. So, end of the show. We'll tell you how to win this. It'll be just as easy as it was last week. Yes, it is. Remember, you can download the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube. The list's getting slightly longer now, but that covers all the platforms for your Android, desktop, and keep telling your friends about the show, and keep leaving reviews, please. Lots of reviews on iTunes, so we can keep climbing up the, the ranking system. Mm. Don't forget that this show is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Uh, we're doing a couple of interesting projects with them later this year, and we work very closely with them to bring you the best podcast that we possibly can. And in the coming months, we have some really interesting, in-depth, uh, very heavy conservation-based topics to discuss. And in fact, this weekend at the Screen Palace Game Fair, there is going to be a debate um, on with regard to rewilding, which is a very popular topic in Scotland. And I'm hoping that we're going to be able to record that debate. It is going to have the director of SACS on, Alex Stoddart, who you have heard on here before. So... I'm not quite sure when we're going to bring that to you, but we will be bringing we, we it to will you try. in the coming weeks. We do hope you enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. David, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast once again. Uh, the last time we had you on, which was a few months ago now, you soared to the like, top. It was like episode eight or something. Yeah. And up until fairly recently, you were the most downloaded show we've had. I'm sorry, but Donnie and Josh James knocked you off. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I mean, it's fairly fairly high caliber people. You know, I think it's all right if Donnie Vincent beats you in downloads. I, I think that's uh, that's quite fair. I must say, I would much rather listen to Donnie Vincent than I would listen to me. So uh, <laughs> I can't blame anyone for uh, actually wanting to spend a lot of time uh, listening to that guy. He's absolutely awesome. Um, the same goes for our favorite uh, Kiwi. He's, uh, he's a legend in his own time. And uh, I actually tried to uh, visit Josh James uh, a couple of months ago. But, uh, of course, he wasn't home. He was hunting. So um, <laughs> surprise, it's surprise. a good thing that you, uh, <laughs> that you managed to catch him on the radio. Um, since he's, uh, he's quite an inspiration to, uh, to a lot of people. So... Uh, uh, I must confess, I uh, I actually download those uh, podcasts as well, so um, I'm a part of the statistics. <laughs> good, good. We keep downloading. Jo Josh is a hard man to get hold of because it literally was. Well, I'm going hunting here, 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 and here, so you have maybe a day to catch me, <laughs> and the time difference is massive. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I was actually in his backyard talking to his wife at the time, uh, and she was also. Um, trying to catch him so um i must say uh, josh you are definitely um he, he's definitely um he's living up to his reputation good i would expect nothing less <laughs> neither would i actually uh, so, one, day, to... one day we will succeed yeah i know i hope so i hope when we go over there at some point when we have a minute to to touch base with him but the likelihood with him is when we're there he's probably going to be here or something like that yeah more than likely <laughs> Now, we have just been together for the weekend at a shooting event in Denmark, in your home country, and it was a, a rather marvellous weekend. Uh, shooting, comradeship, uh, more shooting, just superb. For those uh, I've just written about, it, I'm sure every journalist that's there is uh, probably scribing as we speak right now and record this, but instead of me telling what we were doing this weekend, 
maybe you could just tell our listeners what we were up to for uh, two and a half days. Yeah, we um, we participated in uh, what is known in the um, uh, in the shooting industry as the size um, uh, the size shooting event called Ulfborg, the Ulfborg shootout, and um, uh, the uh, this, the the event at Ulfborg is uh, quite a unique concept in the shooting world since it's one of the only events I think that uh, where uh, several different companies come together and invite quite a large group of uh, hunting journalists and basically just hands over tons of equipment, uh, tons of uh, ammunition and tell them to go and uh, go nuts basically yeah. and just uh, t- test the bottom out of these things. Um, it's, uh, it's quite extraordinary actually that these companies uh, give uh, so many journalists the opportunity to test these things out and the event has evolved to something where after the journalists have been there, it's open to the general public. And uh, for about a week, these uh, very dedicated people from uh, Zeiss and Zauer, uh, they, um, uh, they, I think they have about what is it, 25 to 50 shooters through every day for a week. Um, so so uh, quite a lot of shots fired. Um, and uh, it, it is a very, very good experience and an extremely good way of technical skills. The whole setup is built on the Danish concept of jagdfeldskuning, uh, which means hunting field, hunting field shooting, which is a competition that the Danes invented in order to actually practice how you shoot when you hunt mm. and not just lie flat on your belly and shoot at a target 100 meters away that's not moving around. Um, so it's all about being practical, it's all about training as you actually hunt, and uh, it is uh, as fun as it sounds. Yeah, it really, it really is tremendous, and it's unlike, it's unlike anything else that we have in the UK, and certainly I've never been to an event anywhere quite like it anywhere in the world. Uh, the South Africans actually have something that's kind of similar, uh, but not quite to the same sophistication level as, as Ulfborg. And I shot there last year and obviously shot there again this year with you. And what a learning experience it is, both for the, the person and also to establish, you know, what the kit can do. As you said, we were there, uh, Zeiss and Saar, but Hornady were on board this year and Harkila were there as well to show, uh, show off some of their products. Um, but yeah, it's so much fun. And yeah, I'm it, sure it, you... It, 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 looks, it looks fun. I have to say it does. I've seen pictures for the last two years. And it, does, <laughs> yeah. it does look fun. Daryl's saying that. I can see in the corner of his eye. Where's my invite? Um, uh, it, it does have the added benefit of the, the, the place itself is quite, uh, is quite rustic compared to many of the other journalist events that people go to. And it does have the added benefit of that you learn just exactly how many tattoos your fellow journalists have <laughs> um, because there's um, common showers and uh, also who snores and who snores how because there is um, uh, sleeping quarters are bunk beds and uh, it's got this slight army feeling to it. So uh, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not at all bitter that you ended up in the snoring room this year, are you, David? Well, I did end up in the room with, let's just say, some of the most experienced journalists and 
uh, who's developed uh, very impressive uh, capabilities. And uh, I ended up sleeping on the floor um, in the hall. So um, it was either that or starting to get very violent. So I just decided that I'd rather just fled the premises instead. Yes, uh, no. wise decision, I think. Very sound strategy. But no, the I mean, it's the, both days that we were there, but especially the second day, which they have a, a dress up as a a competition, and it's uh, it's always good to see the, the the camaraderie between people. But in that circumstance, you're actually forced at every uh, lane that you go to to shoot in different positions, whether that's sitting, standing, off a high seat, kneeling, which is something most people would never do normally uh, in the field if you had a choice. Uh, and it was, I found it amazing last year. And since that experience, I always said to myself, whenever I'm at the range, is to always make sure that you're forcing yourself to actually, as you put it, train as you as you actually hunt. There is very little point going to the, every time you go to the range, only taking a couple of shots, lying down, fully supported. It's great for checking, making sure your rifle is zeroed and everybody should obviously do that and make sure you've got a rifle that's going to deliver what it should. But in terms of practice, you need to be doing the things that you would do when you're in the field. In, in my personal opinion, uh, and this is my personal opinion, um, shooting lying down or from prone or from, uh, from a bench is really good for siding in, uh, but it's not training in a hunting sense. It's, if you do long range shooting, it might be, but then it is, a, it is slightly different. Uh, it's okay for training when, if you had to work with your, uh, your breathing cycle, but if you actually want to be able to do some of the things that you do on a hunt, which is fast shots from a standing position or uh, often shots from a very, very awkward position, uh, sitting nicely in a bench with a cup of coffee next to you is not gonna not gonna cut it. Um, and uh, I must say that that I I would really recommend for uh, people to start practicing in the same way as get off the ground, get out of the bench, start uh, taking shots that you think is hard and painful and even dodgy on the range because when you're in the field and you know that you can't make that shot or you know that you're comfortable uh, comfortable making that shot. Mm-hmm. So it's all about finding your limitations, um, which is something that Ulfborg is very good at, especially when you're competing against uh, some of the best uh, hunting journalists in Europe and even the US sometimes. Yeah, no, um, that's good. It's, it's something that uh, uh, it's something I've, I've really, really enjoyed, and it every year I get. I've been there. This was my third year, and uh, every year I find something new. I start playing around with my shooting positions. I figure out, hey, maybe I should just use my elbow on the high seat in a different way. And I, I must say, I really improve my shooting every time I go there. I'm definitely not in the top three. I'm possibly not even in top 10, um, which I'm quite aware of, um, which means I also, I really feel it's important to practice those shots that you, when you're in the field, you know that, is this, is this a good one? Is this a bad one? I don't really know. Those, those that are on the line, 
practice those because you always find out that if they're on the line, they're, you probably shouldn't take them. Yeah. Um, and training as we do in Denmark with the hunting field trials, um, it uh, it gives you that that very nice slap in the face that the the a good training session should. Mm. Uh, but it also gives you some really good success experiences. Like we had, um, we were shooting targets, uh, six hundred meter walking targets, um, freehand. And uh, that is something that you very rarely get to do. It's something that I would never recommend anyone to do in a hunting situation, except if you have a wounded animal, you know it's wounded, you need to take it down, you see, you see it at 600 meters and you've practiced it, then it is actually physically possible to put a bullet in that target. Um, personally, I'd rather just sprint the next 200 meters and see if I could get it, but sometimes um, if you need to take that shot, it is actually physically possible. And when you train it, it's so much fun to just go, and you can almost light a cigarette before you hear the sound mm-hmm. from the gong, and it just falls down. And it's uh, it, it's fun. It's fun to 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 push yourself. And then um, and it's also the, the camaraderie, the people that you shoot with. You should always try to shoot with people who don't just want to make the maximum score every time, but who's, uh, who's open to pushing their own limits and playing around and doing mildly stupid stuff just to test if, is this actually possible? Yeah. Can I actually hit a golf ball standing freehand at 100 meters? <laughs> um, the answer is often no. Um, and um, yeah, so um, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> That was, yeah, that was that was our that was our weekend. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just emphasise the fact that it is something which I think every every hunter should definitely try and do. And you don't need. I mean, the facility that we were privileged to have access to in Northborg is, is quite stunning. Um, I, th- I believe there's actually seventy two different lanes there. I was told. I'm not sure if that number is yeah. correct, but there's a lot. Ulfborg Ulf is an old, old army shooting area, uh, which means the possibilities of how you can combine different uh, lanes are um, uh, ranges are endless. But um, I've actually started to play around with it uh, myself um, at the forest where where I hunt and um, and where I sometimes practice. And uh, it's it's actually not that hard. Just put up three boxes at 25, 50, and 100 meters, and just practice shooting uh, all three in succession freehand, and try to time it. Just something like that. Hmm. Or force yourself next time you're at the range, you can only shoot freehand. Um, that it will frustrate you immensely, um, and that's kind of the idea. Yeah, uh, try to push yourself doing doing stuff that you're very uncomfortable with. Um, try to build up your backpack. If you shoot off the backpack, try to build it up so it's way too high. Just like if you're shooting in uh, the moors or in the heather, where there's there's only one rock that you can use as support. You probably know about this. <laughs> yes. um, there's only that one rock, and you're really like battling. Your back's totally crooked, and everything is painful, and you you can't really find the scope. Try to actually simulate that in a training situation instead of just lying there having the time of your life. Yeah. Um, 
I'll be, I'll be incredibly comfortable. It's, uh, it's there's so many shots taken in in real life hunting that are not comfortable. Um, it's important since- because if you can't actually make those shots in a simulated training way where you're forced to do exactly what you said, you know, stick your backpack on its long end and shoot off the top of the backpack off your, off your, off your knees sitting, or you put yourselves in awkward lying positions. If you can't actually make those shots training, you shouldn't be taking those shots in the field at something living. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who hunt, who zero their rifle at a hundred. They might take a shot at 200 target if you're lucky, but they've probably taken a 230 meter shot. Now, should you ever really be shooting at something? Well, here's a question to you, David. Should you ever really be shooting at something at a distance that you've never shot at on the range? Uh, in in my personal opinion, I don't. I, Unless I don't it's wounded. think you should. I, I I think you should really try to avoid it, and also remember that most hunting situations is not a life and death situation for you as a hunter, mm-hmm. but it is a life and death situation for the animal. And taking a shot that you haven't practiced and you don't feel comfortable with, you put this animal uh, in a very risky position. You and, and again, everything we do is about making a clean kill. Um, on that said, that if you practice regularly on 300 meters, uh, then 200, yeah, you can probably pull that one off quite easily. Or if you practice um, quite a lot on 600 or 1,000, then something else starts happening. But but most people don't. Um, and I think we as we as hunters should definitely look at ourselves and say we 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 practice the uncomfortable stuff. So we are sure that we will only take comfortable shots. Um, I know that in the U.S. it's a lot more popular to do long-range uh, hunting and shooting. Um, and uh, I'm not going to sit on my side of the ocean telling them what to do and what not to do. But I can definitely tell you that there's a lot of shots that I wouldn't have taken because I, I haven't practiced them. Mm-hmm. Uh, same, thing, same thing actually goes on driven hunts. It's, it's quite an issue in Europe when you have guests who've never actually practiced shooting at running targets with our rifles. Um, because th- this is what we do. We, we shoot wild ball and running game. Um, and uh, if you haven't practiced that, then it is going to be quite difficult for you to um, put the ball in the right place. Um, you actually have to hit quite a lot in front, even at close distances on running game. Uh, of course, those of you who practice this, you, you know it. You say, well, that you're stating the obvious. But we see, even with uh, European hunters, we see game where there's an unneeded, um, uh, there's an unneeded follow-up situation, um, or it, it could have the follow-up situation could have been avoided if people had practiced more. And, and as a hunter, we, we all know that making a dodgy shot um, is something that we really want to avoid and it, it, it wrecks your whole day and it very often wrecks um, uh, your whole year as well because you can't stop thinking about that animal that you, where the bullet wasn't just in the right place. Um, it, and again, it's fun. I don't know, do you have shooting cinemas in, uh, in Britain? 
We we well, I've used uh, one, and that was yep. really good fun. We shot boar, and then we were you shot a bear. Yeah. <laughs> so not like you guys have though. But this is there, a different, is it? No, no, it's it's the same idea, but that's those are mobile ones. Whereas oh, okay. these guys, they you you, if yeah. I'm correct in saying, David, there's actually fixed cinemas there that are always there all year round, and you can go and practice. Yeah, and you practice with your own rifle and live ammunition. I don't know if you did that. No, not live ammunition. This is just simulated laser ammo. Yeah, this is uh, bring your own rifle, bring ammunition, and other way um, a movie screen. Mm-hmm. Um, which the first time you do it is quite a weird experience, um, but that that really really works. And they have uh, they most of the cinemas we have two in Denmark, and there's a couple in Sweden. I know there's a couple in Germany. Um, it's actually just a, like a normal cinema, just a long hall, and then. And you have the screen in the end, and they will uh, run different movies, different animals, African uh, running wild ball, whatever. And then you just plug away. Um, that is quite a lot of fun, but I can definitely recommend to bring a lot of ammunition. <laughs> Would you say that it is fairly similar to the real thing? It, it is fairly similar. Uh, um, I am not a competition shooter, so if the bullet would hit five centimeters long, uh, more in front in a real life situation or behind, doesn't really matter to me because what you practice is the uh, getting your rifle on target, knowing where your, your lead should be. Uh, and that is, that is quite similar. Like from the time I started doing it, my, my shots have improved uh, quite a lot on running game which means that I've been able to, I know when to take the shot and when not to, mm-hmm. um, which is the most important for me. And uh, I've, 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 I've actually brought quite a few people to these cinemas and uh, afterwards they went, whoa, this, this, this changed, this changed a lot. Um, so uh, I, I, can, I can highly recommend it. It's, it's a quite a lot of fun. And if you're ever in our neck of the woods, then uh, I would recommend that you uh, you drop by and, and try it out. It's an interesting thing you bring up because, you know, there are a lot of um, a lot of hunters and there are a reasonable number of hunters in the UK who travel to Europe to shoot driven game every year, and very 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 few of them actually do any practice on driven shooting <clears throat> prior to going. It's not necessarily their fault, although obviously you could travel to the cinemas in Europe, but we don't have great facilities here to do it. There are one or two places now that do have a bit like we had in Orthborg where with a target just going across an area that, that you shoot. And certainly I can testify to exactly what you were saying if you don't practice because of all the, the shooting there, it was the, the driven shooting that let me down, in particular the boar, uh, just miscalculating uh, miscalculating uh, lead and distance and all the rest of it. And although I didn't actually miss any shots, I'll, uh, uh, a boar is quite a big thing and they weren't necessarily in the right place, <laughs> uh, which is obviously important if it had been uh, a living animal. So you should really be practicing that if you're going to go and partake in it. And I would even more than static shooting where you're only shooting something that should be standing still i mean the driven hunting you should be doing even more practice for that because it's it's twice as difficult um well basically uh um, you you don't need a shooting cinema um and all the cash that you need to establish one of those um shooting on a moving target with a rifle 
you can practice that by taking a football, get your mate to kick it, and you can shoot it with an air gun. Um, I know people who've taken um, car tires and then put a, a uh, um, a wooden blade in the middle and just roll them down a hill and then their mate would stand at the bottom of the hill shoot at the rifle um, it's just getting it into your head that what is your lead uh, you need to follow through all these things that you know with a shotgun but it's just a little bit different with, um, you can also shoot uh, clays with an uh, air rifle it's really really hard but that will still uh, teach you quite a few yeah, things. Yeah, that's, can't, that's something I can't say I've ever seen someone do, but I, I believe you that it would be very, I've, I've very seen, hard. I've seen people shooting clay targets with a bow. So, yes, I uh, have. I've, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen the bow. I've seen people shooting all sorts of stuff with the bow. It's incredible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but then again, the good thing about the bow is we know it's hard, so we might as well just shoot lots of different things because none of it's easy. <laughs> Uh, and I think the biggest that kind of concludes that, that I think one of the reasons why people don't practice the uncomfortable and the hard and the impossible shots is because it's hard mm. and it's so easy to get a good uh, positive feeling out of lying, uh, lying down and shooting uh, uh, holes in a penny. Um, it's so easy to be happy with yourself with that. And I think a lot of hunters kind of fear a little bit to do something that is embarrassing and painful and uh, will um, show them how bad they actually are at other stuff. So um, get yeah. out of your comfort zone. Yeah, there's no getting away with that at all, Bob, because it's there for everybody to see. And one thing I wanted to uh, bring up on that, which I think adds a totally different dimension to it, is that what we're shooting there, certainly on, on the second day, um, is not just a square paper target. It is silhouettes of whatever it is, a boar, a moose, a deer. And in particular, which, which I think is just brilliant, and I think we should definitely do more of that here as well, is that although when you stand right in front of it, you can see where the kill zone is, and it's not just, a, generally speaking, isn't just circles, they're actually shaped kill zones. When it's out at any kind of range, you can't see those rings. So you've got to study the target and say, okay, well, this tuft on his chest and then this bit of the, the back of the leg, if I line these up in the crosshair, then I'm going to be in my kill zone. And it's much more realistic than actually shooting a target. And I, I, I want to actually get some of those targets over here to put them on my range. Mm. Yes, uh, for me, it doesn't make any sense to, to practice hunting uh, like how you shoot on a hunt. Um, to practice on uh, square paper targets because we're not shooting square paper boxes. It's it's not it's you want to kind of build you want to build an idea in your head just just where to put your optics every single time and and when you train your when you train your mind to see that spot every time, then once you get the rifle up, it just pops straight up to that point. Um, and it's the same thing as again as archery, like, like bow shooters do with three targets, where we have a foam animal um, that we shoot again and again and again and again. So when the animal's actually there, your 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 hand will automatically just force your uh, sight pin up to kind of rest on that sweet spot that that you know in the back of your head that this is this is where this is where it should be. Mm. Um, it's the same thing that. Was it Kevin Robinson's wonderful book, The Perfect, Perfect Shot? Shot? Yeah. 
from Africa. I think uh, that that book has probably saved more people, uh, saved more money for more people than any other product in the shooting industry in general. Um, because the hearts and the lungs and all the different hit zones uh, on African game are quite a lot different than on uh, uh, European game. Um, and uh, and the same thing goes that if, you, if you've never actually seen the organ charts of a row or a red deer, then you might actually be surprised at how big is the heart, where does it sit, what is the connection with the lungs, if you want to do a long shot, not a hard shot, where should you put the bullet, all this. So I agree. It's uh, we should, in my opinion, we should train as closely to the real thing as possible. Because why else would you train? Yeah. Uh, one last thing on the weekend, um, and not necessarily to go into masses of detail on the actual bullet in question, but Hornady were there as as one of the partners this year, and they they were showcasing one of their their new ELDX um, bullet. But what I wanted to ask you about, and maybe just explain to the listeners was how important it is to understand actually what a, what a bullet does terminally. I mean, we were fortunate enough to have uh, Jens there, who's, who's brilliant at talking about such things, and he had the soap blocks, and it shows you the kind of damage that's done over, over different ranges. Uh, maybe you can just elaborate on that a little and, and the importance of understanding that as a hunter. Having Jens Higgins there is, uh, is really cool because Jens is not just an expert in bullets, he's actually also a chef. Uh, um, so he knows about the importance of what what goes on inside the body of an animal and how does that affect meat and all these things. Um, I think it's I think I think it's a very very small thing that most hunters don't really think about, and I think it's an extremely important thing that everybody should think about because most. A lot of hunters might buy a very nice rifle, a really good scope. They might even buy some really good rings to connect these two, which I can definitely <laughs> recommend. Um, but then when it comes to the thing that actually kills, which is the bullet, uh, you very often go for the thing that is the cheapest option. And the cheapest option is not always the best option in this case because different bullets behave in different ways. And, and uh, it was very obvious from uh, Jens Tiggins' demonstration, and he's done quite a few, that different bullets behave differently and you have to use the right bullet for the right type of hunting you're doing. Like the, the one we were, check, we were testing uh, for this weekend, the Precision Hunter, yeah, the precision uh, has been developed specifically for longer ranges. Um, and they've actually, they are so incredibly nerdy about it that the, the plastic in the ballistic tip, they found out that this little thing, it actually melts and that can affect the, uh, the precision over longer distances. Uh, and just a thing like that, um, and this is a premium bullet and, and so they developed a, a new uh, type of plastic that, that doesn't melt and, and they could see from the groupings that this made quite a difference for them. Um, it's, it's interesting to compare that kind of bullet, like a long range bullet, and the wound channel from that with a bullet like the uh, GMX, the, the lead free bullet, um, because it, it, the, the penetration of a long range bullet works very well even at 400 or 500 meters 
whereas the left free boards, because they have uh, uh, lesser mass, um, will behave in a different way. But at a shorter distance, the, the fragmentation of a high-speed um, long-range bullet will behave in a different way than if you have like the GMX uh, lead-free, which doesn't actually fragment uh, or fragments uh, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. So if you're a long-range hunter, you would use one bullet. Or if you are, as me, very much a meat hunter who shoots at quite short distances, you might use another bullet. So, um, and, and I've also seen it, I've experienced quite a few times in, in Africa where people brought uh, bullets that that was not designed for the job. Um, you can shoot all the big antelopes with um, quite a lot of different calibers, even the, uh, the lesser calibers, if you have a premium bullet that's built for the job. But having a very, very fast bullet that disintegrates almost upon impact, that's not a very good plan if you're shooting black wildebeest. No. Um, not if you want to bring it down cleanly and fast. And it doesn't matter if you're shooting a 300 Win Mag because that thing will just explode on the shoulder and the wildebeest will be very, very cross with you. Um, and I tend to actually like wildebeest. I think we should um, <laughs> shoot them with the right things. Yeah. Um, so it's just like giving, actually setting out, like how do you find out what kind of bullet you should, you should use? Um, I think you should, you should ask around, you should, uh, you should ask like what, what are, what's people, what, what's the actual experience that fellow hunters have? Like use the wonderful media of Facebook to say, well, well I want to shoot this and this and this. Does anybody have experiences with this type of bullet and this type of caliber and this type of game? Uh, because a lot of hunters will be very open about um, bad bullets. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've always been a massive advocate of making sure that you're using the right bullet for the job. And I, as just to echo what you've said, uh, I've always said that people do not spend enough time thinking about the actual bullet in question. And not only is it quite often, well, what, what's the cheapest? Because it, it's it's a consumable part of hunting, isn't it? Everything else is a, is a fix. It's a capital cost. It's it's done. You know, you, you've told your you've told your wife or your girlfriend, I've spent five hundred quid on a rifle, uh, which actually cost two thousand uh, pounds. But that's it. It's done and dusted, and you have it for however many years. But the actual burning of ammo is costing you every time you pull the trigger. And also, unless, yeah, unless you want to bludgeon the animal to death with that rifle. The bullet's kind of important. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't really make sense when you actually look at the whole package. When you you know you put a two thousand pound scope on, you've got a thousand pound rifle. Maybe your binoculars are two thousand pounds. The gear you're wearing is a few hundred pounds, and then you're buying the cheapest bullets known that's on the market. You know why would you do it? <laughs> I mean, the cheapest and, and bullets. No, unless they work. Getting, getting back to your practice, that is when when that is when you should get back to the shooting bench. Is you should you should buy all. Uh, steal off your mates uh, a whole series of different bullets and ammunition types and then you test them in your rifle because so many different like, like most rifles shoot differently with different bullets you can't just expect that ah this bullet works really well for my mate he shoots a Tika um, I shoot a Remington uh, it's probably the same it, it, it's not the grouping is different um, I've had in the past, I've had some quite quite bad experiences with ammunition where 
I was, I was very surprised that that kind of ammunition was even on the market because the groupings were horrible. Uh, and I actually started doubting whether it was me and the whole thing. What am I doing? Um, and then you ask one of the, uh, the range nerds to try it out, and, and this grouping is even worse. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that you should, you, should, you should test your gear thoroughly, but remember that it's the bullet that kills. Mm-hmm. And you actually end up, I think you end up saving money by not using crappy bullets because um, your, uh, um, your, your, confidence, your confidence goes up and you can see the animals, they, they, drop, uh, they drop easier. And um, so you don't actually end up spending as much, um, to say it bluntly, you don't miss as much and you don't wound as much and you don't do as many shots where this the shot could have been good mm. but because you decided to take a varmint bullet and use it on a black beast a uh, black wildebeest uh you couldn't recover it and um which is a damn shame and 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 yeah um, and that yeah I, I that's that's quite, the key it's... i've been quite clear in my opinion of uh skimping out on your on your bullets mm. um you wouldn't try to shoot geese with um uh, a size seven uh, shotgun shell. So, so <clears throat> use do the same thing for the rifle ammunition. Use the right things. Uh, it also means, from a meat hunter's perspective, that um, mo- a lot of people will tell you, ah, oh, this caliber is too big for this and this and this, and ah, oh, there's too much uh, too much power in this cartridge. Blah blah blah. It's not necessarily true. Like I shoot Rodeo with my uh, 30-06. I shoot most things. I shoot. I shoot with a 30-06. But I try to, I try to, to tune the bullet for the game, um, and the bullets I shoot right now creates very small holes and very small wound channels. But it just keeps on going, so I can use the same bullet for rodeo as I use for moose, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I'm quite happy about because I go to quite a lot of different hunting situations in a year. And I don't always have time to go to the range and recite, and uh, uh, and I, I like to use the same rifle, and the same ammunition for everything because then I don't have to um, then I don't have to change gear. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a very simple person when it comes to that. So, so the moral of that story is: make sure not only that your rifle uh, and your ammunition and your scope setup sh- shoots where you want it, train so that you can shoot where you want it, and make sure yeah. you use a bullet where the terminal performance matches the species that you're hunting. Simple. Yeah. Um, unless good, good unless you're a target shooter primarily, uh, or unless you want to be really good at target shooting, start practicing like a hunter instead. Um, and there is a there is a difference, and it, it becomes a lot more fun because you get a lot more out of it. Like lying on your belly and shooting 100 meters isn't that much fun actually. No. Uh, that's that's one thing that I was that I would have loved to see more of at Ulfborg is. Um, Freehand shooting at 200 meters, freehand shooting at 100 meters. Um, it's incredibly hard. Mm. It's uh, most most hunters can't do it, and that's 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 good because then you know you shouldn't do it in the field. Um, it, we we practice it at uh, and, and and when we practice the competition in Denmark, mm. it's actually a timed event where you have eight seconds to shoot four shots at a board 25 meters, and then you have 15 seconds to shoot five shots at something 600 meters away at the same stage. 
Um, so that's an added level of stress and frustration because it's really, really hard to do. Yeah, no, it is. Freehand shooting requires a lot of practice and it may seem strange for those people either who haven't done it or those people who listen to this who are, are not hunters and I hope we're, we're not boring you with uh, this more technical discussions, yeah. but it's not, so about holding, it's not about holding the gun as still as possible. It's about knowing really when to let the shot off because you can never freehand hold it as steady as you can on a sandbag. It's just impossible. No, and and, and again, and like in the end, it is about knowing when to squeeze and when not to. And in general, if you are in doubt, if you know, if you don't know, you can take the shot. Just don't don't squeeze. Yep. Don't curl up that finger. Just keep pointing at it and say, "I'll, I'll be back after I practice this shot." Exactly. Yes. Uh, so um, yeah. So now right. we're gonna now we're gonna talk about Brexit, right? No, um, <laughs> we're definitely not. We're definitely not. I think yeah, there's plenty of discussion in the in the news and media. It's, it's that. been on the news continuously <laughs> and on Facebook continuously. I think that we can uh, miss that one out. And it will be continuously. And just uh, briefly, um, we really like you guys. We're very sorry to see you go. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. It's okay. We Thanks. can still we can still be friends, yeah. David. It's fine. We can um, definitely be friends. There's always a place for you guys in our hearts, and uh, we haven't uh, we haven't put up the border control yet. <laughs> so, uh, so to to in hunting terms, to more important things, you yeah. have not long, <laughs> not that long, come back from New Zealand. Now, you and I uh, sat on one of the nights, uh, beer in hand, talking about your experience, which was phenomenal. Just tell me a little bit about your trip so that, because uh, my brother hasn't heard this and neither no, has not. our listeners. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember how, how long ago it was now. Um, I went to a trip to New Zealand um, with my good mate, Ulrich uh, Asko, because we decided to prove our government wrong. It's, Apparently, it's very much in fashion these days. Um, and the thing is that in Denmark, we can't hunt red deer with our bows. We can hunt roe deer, but we can't hunt anything bigger than that, even though we've been doing this for almost 10,000 years. Um, and we decided to try to actually capture on camera that this was possible. Uh, and we decided to do it the, uh, the, the easiest way, which is uh, travel all the way to New Zealand, uh, live in a tent for three to four weeks and we pulled in red deers. Um, needless to say, this trip was an amazing adventure and absolutely bomb crazy. Uh, it was a road trip uh, of... Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's very hard to explain actually because it, it, was, it was one of those hunting trips where it wasn't actually about killing an animal. It was about um, enjoying an adventure and being changed by the adventure and learning about your limitations, but also seeing yourself in a whole new perspective. And, and those of you who, uh, um, who like to uh, combine hunting with uh, hard physical adventures, you'll probably know what I'm talking about here, that sometimes you, you get to go on a trip that will change your view on yourself and the world. And uh, this was one of these trips. Um, I found out sitting in the jungle on my 33rd birthday 
uh, one of the first days that uh, what am I actually doing here? Uh, um, it's 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 very it's very seldom that you get to ask yourself that question. Um, and for the rest of that trip, I kept trying to answer that question, and I've uh, and in the end, I actually I've, I think I did. So um, as you can see, I still I, I still have a hard time processing it. It's for for those of you who just want to lay down. We actually managed to call in quite a few red deer at very very close range, um, but bow hunting is quite hard. So um, let's just say that uh, there was not a lot of game on the ground for those three weeks. <laughs> Um, but but uh, we did get to spend a lot of time in, in the backcountry of New Zealand and uh, all over the Southern Island. Um, and I did get to sleep for quite some time in a tent with a very uh, beautiful red-headed uh, 23-year-old. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he just happened to have a beard. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'm happy, happy married, uh, but uh, I'm still a happy married man. Um, and uh, but luckily we found that that neither Ulrich or I snore. Um, That's always a win when you, when you're in a, a confined space together. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially for three weeks. Um, but uh, no, it was it was an extraordinary experience, especially especially calling in red deer. It's something that I've never done before, which makes it even more crazy that we actually did it. Um, and calling in red deer, we did that with. Uh, just our voices, just just basically just shouting our lungs out, try to get these beasts to acknowledge us and come and try to kick us, uh, or to try to um, kick our butts. Um, and getting that connection with the deer, we actually managed to make it work quite a few times. And and getting that connection with a, a deer that size, and you have that sense of aggression from it. It's it's. It's quite an extraordinary connection because you are actually talking to it and it's actually answering you and it's telling you to go, bugger off, this is mine, go away. Um, and it's, it's, it is quite weird. Um, and it's something that I would, it's something that I would recommend that people who hunt red deer in the rut or hunt other types of deer in the rut, give it a twirl. Try it out. The worst thing that can happen is you're going to mess it up completely and you're not going to shoot anything. Hmm. Um, the best thing that can happen is you actually manage to call in an animal that will acknowledge you um, as, uh, as its equal, actually. Because mostly, it's the, the weird feeling is that, that mostly when we hunt, we hunt somebody, something that we, we wanted to we want for it to not know that we're there. It's all very sneaky and it's all, all like we are a part of nature and we're looking from the outside and we, we, don't, we don't want to disturb anything and then it's only the shot that kind of breaks that silence. With this, as uh, any other type of calling, you take an active part. You, you dive in. Um, and it kind of reminds me that, that nature is not this silent, quiet, happy paradise where all the animals walk around uh, claw and claw, uh, but it's actually quite a violent and interesting place where things shout at each other. Uh, even the, the happy sounds of birds are basically 
some sparrow telling all the other spar- all, the, all the other sparrows to go bugger off all <laughs> that it wants to it's really 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 horny and it's that time of month um so it, it kind of it connects you with nature in in a much more intense way um it also means that your throat goes very very sore um and you get some interesting experiences out of practicing your red beer cold in the middle of wellington or uh, wherever you uh um <laughs> wherever you decide to start practicing with your mate um, well there was some interesting so, there was some interesting calling going on on one of the evenings in north yeah now the, like the red deer, the red deer call was not the. It's not the first time that I tried calling large ungulates. Um, the um, I'm pretty sure a red deer is an ungulate, right? I think so. I think so too. Um, I've also I've also experienced the technique in uh, in Lapland calling moose and uh, in British Columbia calling moose. And then again, we all know like calling foxes, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and it's quite contagious. Like once you get it into your head that you can actually shout at these animals and they'll shout back at you, uh, it's very hard to stop. And, and then when you start hanging out with people with similar interests, all of a sudden you hear these sounds around you. Like why is this forest full of horny moose? Uh, <laughs> It, it's not very. Uh, it's not a very common thing in Denmark. Uh, same thing goes with the, the 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 red deer. Is that you kind of have when you when you've crossed that barrier of embarrassment of just standing there and screaming your lungs out in public, um, people don't can't really seem to get enough of it. So um, I can uh, I can also recommend it as a party game that everybody gives their best uh, red deer roll. And if the if the walls don't vibrate, it's it's not deep enough. <laughs> Do you know what I saw on YouTube the other day was the U.S. Turkey Calling Championships. It was won yeah. won by like a fifteen year old kid. Absolutely incredible. He yeah. he, he is exactly like a turkey. <laughs> exactly, and and the Americans are so much better at this because they don't have a hunting tradition where somebody has been selling them for a couple of hundred years. You can't do this, mate. Uh, it's not possible. It's not possible. And then some kid out in Michigan decides, what if I just, I, what if I just try to scream at them, see what happens? Um, so I think the for me, like the, the uh, elk calling has been very, very inspirational and uh, something that I'd love to try an elk hunt just to get that, uh, get that response from the elk. Which has a very um, quirky sound to it. Yeah, it's quite incredible. If any, (laughs) it's not a very masculine sound compared to the red deer roll, and it's a huge animal and has that. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Things. It sounds a little bit like a red deer and like a teenage red deer. No, it's uh, calling is something. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is. I I do a lot of row calling during the rut here. If the rut ever plays ball, which (laughs) for the last couple of years it hasn't been very good. Uh, but even goose calling, you know, even using a caller to call geese in to flight them, which hopefully uh, you're going to be experiencing a little bit of later this year um, over here, is tremendous. It's it is it does give you that kind of other level connection with whatever it is that you're hunting, and uh, even if you go with somebody who's doing it just to see what it's all about, even if you're not hunting yourself, I definitely urge people to try and find out somebody who does calling of any description and go and see what it's all about because it's pretty cool 
I don't know if we if if I try to force you to do this in the weekend, but uh, it is like the best crow shooter in Denmark, and I dare to say probably the world called uh, Bjarne Frost. Uh, and uh, he only calls with his voice. He doesn't use a call. He really? uses his mouth and his hands. Um, and uh, he shot. I think he shot forty three thousand crows. Um, and about double that in geese. So that's um, it's quite a lot of meat, and he actually eats them, all of them. Um, mind you, he's he's uh, he's pushing seventy now, but he's still a really really good shot, and he does nothing besides <laughs> shooting Amazing. birds that he can call in. Uh, but he calls geese on his voice alone, and. Uh, I dare anyone to try it. It really works. I've I've done it quite a few times. You can actually get them in. You can actually get them to move. You can actually play around with the scales. Um, many of the crow calls won't give you the opportunity to work around. Like, is it an aggressive crow? Is it a um, is it a feeding crow? What is it doing? Um, but just uh, no, so we can can't. Try it no, out we right can't, now. David. You, give me your best. Give me your best crow call. <laughs> uh, I. I actually, I wouldn't even know where to start. I have, I have to admit, I, I always wimp out. I have a little bag full of calls, and uh, I, I would. The only thing that I could call with my hands would be a fox, and it's not even a fox call that we make. It's a squealing rabbit, obviously. <laughs> but I, I, I'm assuming that you've practiced. Okay, you can do this Let's hear. Rabbit. I'll do my crawl. That was incredibly good. And that actually, it is quite fun. It is also, <clears throat> you really need to drink <laughs> water in the blind. Um, and, and don't, uh, don't, uh, don't give large yeah. speeches uh, later in the day. Um, what what would you really say to electronic on, calling then? Do the crow call. Um, it's very easy yeah. for us because yeah. it's not allowed. And I would say that electronic calling, it's, it's it's probably very efficient, but uh, yeah. it is a little bit cheating, and it, it's a lot more cool if you can, if you can do it with your voice. You never need to bring the batteries. You never need to be frustrated about like, oh, where did I put this, and why is there water <laughs> in this, and why did the dog chew it up? And and for me, there's a lot like hunting is also about like getting back to mm. basics. Um, and it's really cool if you're out duck hunting and you sit there in the blind and all of a sudden you hear the crow ah, 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 far away and you're ah, ah, and then it starts you can see it, it it turns and then it comes in and it flies over your blind yeah and you're well do you know what we're going to do right I, I have no doubt that we're going to have you on again at some point in the in, in the near future so the next time that we have you on we can have a call off and at that point i will have practiced with my voice instead of clearly cheating by always using actual handheld calls so next time we'll have a call off with half a dozen species sounds very good i'm uh, I'm, this I'm, sounds I'm like the kind of thing that, that our listeners uh, should do for a competition <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should like, have a case of beer. Case of beer. We've got amazing prizes. Have two, two cases of beers. One for uh, the competition <laughs> and one for the winner. Um, it's and so like it, again. It's like practice, like you hunt. Um, it's the same thing with shooting. 
just not with a beer. Um, try to push each other. Try to push your mates. Try to say, well, hell, next time we, we won't bring calls. Like, see, see if we can actually get this done without calls. All these things. Like, we won't get better as a culture if we don't keep pressing each other to get to to uh, achieve better results. Not just in trophy size or bags of animals, but just yeah. being no, better at what we do. And it's a, it, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, trying out new aspects of something you already enjoy is just it's it's quite humbling when you realize there's something there's a there is this little aspect whatever that may be that you actually don't either can't do very well or know nothing about and it's been kind of part of that wor world you know whether it be duck shooting and you've been a, a rifle shooter your whole life after big game and you know nothing about uh duck shooting or their their patterns or their flights or how you would go about it just immersing yourself in that is always awesome. The, the, the diversity of the hunting world is so big and so many people get stuck in some niche and forget that there's so much other stuff out there. If you get, there's, there's, uh, there's so many ways of just hunting the same animal. Like they hunt wild boars differently in Sweden than they do in Germany, than they do in Turkey or Iran or North Africa. Um, they hunt uh, red deer differently in Ireland than they do in Spain. It's, it's, there are so many opportunities to broaden your, your world. And this is, like, this is one of the things that I love the most about hunting and hunting culture is that you can just immerse yourself in all these things. And once you get a little bit tired of doing the same thing over and over, you just shift gear. If you, if you okay, I've shot enough, enough pheasants in my life. I eh, don't really know if that's me anymore. Fine. Get a dog. Work, as a, work with a gun dog. Work as a, uh, as a beater. Uh, go on the moors. Do something. Pick up a rifle. Start stalking. It's just the... I, I tell my, I have a hunting school, as you know, and I tell my uh, students that this is, this is not, when we do our license, this is not a license. It's, it's a key to another reality where your possibilities of doing incredible stuff are endless. You just have to apply yourself and you just have to use your imagination and you have to try so uh, if you do that, then you will never run out of hunting opportunities because there's so much stuff out there. Like I would love to go lamping at some point. I've never done it. I don't know how I feel about it. And L maybe I could learn something. Yeah. Well, when you come over, uh, when we make that happen later this year, we, that is something that can I, I can say that is something that we have done a lot of yeah. in the past. And on the other hand, then maybe we have something in Denmark. Like I would love to to bring uh, uh, you guys on a traditional Danish um, uh, driven hunt because it's, it's, mm. it's different and it's different even from Germany where they do their things in one way and we do it another way and, uh, and then every estate is different, every place is different. So um, yeah, just um, get out there and enjoy it, try something new and uh, it doesn't have to be just in, in, in shooting and practice, it can also be just the different types of hunting. Don't get stuck in something. Um, and, and do yourself a favor and invite people to join in. If you're really good at something, I bet you there's going to be somebody who would love to experience that and learn from that. And then you can, then you can swap and your opportunities grow and all that stuff. So, Yeah, it's almost more important to make sure that uh, or to offer up the opportunity to people who maybe 
you know, they may do a lot of something in particular, but don't have the opportunity to do row stalking or, or whatever it may be to offer those opportunities up because it's uh, it's amazing for them and it's it's amazing for the people who are, who make those opportunities available as well. I think you you learn a lot about yourself and what you think you know when you have somebody come in who who doesn't who knows less than you do and you have an opportunity to show them. Yeah, I, I only started hunting crows about four years ago and I've been hunting my whole life. And now I'm completely hooked. Uh, same thing with like being uh, very serious about your, your, your wildfowl calls. Like, I, I didn't really do that before, like three or four years ago. And now I'm just sitting around waiting for September to come and our wildfowl season to open. And it's, it's, it, it just gives you another perspective it gives you even more joy from something that you really love doing so um, same thing that I know that you've been contemplating on doing something that I really like doing I know that you've gone out and <laughs> bought yourself something it was a present for my birthday yes was, I, I am was, now the owner of a boat you have people supporting your the, your the broadening of your world with you what, what did you buy or what did you I do you know I can't even tell you what it is because it's not a particular it's not a, a a make I even know but I've got a recurve bow and I've got some arrows and all I want to start doing is just putting some arrows down range and getting them in the right place and that actually brings me very neatly into something I wanted to ask you about for our listeners but also for me um, for those people who are either have never shot a bow or think who have actually listened to what you've talked about and what Donny Vincent's talked about about bow shooting if you're interested and you want to try it what are the things as a, a complete novice that you need to think about uh, learn and do to just make the best of, of having a bow in you know the early uh, weeks and months of starting out I, i'll just add that i was going to buy bar and uh you know the big foam uh, cutouts of uh, the animals yeah. and then they're about two, 200 yeah. pounds but that <laughs> wasn't happening <laughs> <laughs> you can't actually make those yourself but you don't actually save any money on materials because you have to use some pretty good materials it doesn't break um, uh, first of all you have to understand that once you start shooting a bow uh, you will think of little else um, so if you really need that focus on something don't buy a bow uh, <laughs> Now, there's a wonderful meme, a picture of Kermit that says, do you think my bow miss me as much as I do? Um, and uh, it does say a lot about bow shooting. It's incredibly addictive. There's some Pavlovian uh, thing about sending off, loosing that arrow, following it with your eye and hearing that when it hits, it just goes twack, 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 twack. And you just want to hear that sound over and over and over and over so first of all you have to understand that once you start shooting with your bow and really get to enjoy it uh, it will um, it will take a lot a lot of your time and um, and as it should but what you should do it actually brings me back to if you want to start shooting a bow start just just go and do it Buy a bow, get a bow. If you can only get a cheap bow, if you can only afford a cheap bow, get a cheap bow. A bow is a bow. If you can only build one, like a, a bow is the most incredible, wonderful thing because you actually only have to go out, cut a branch, use a piece of string, cut another branch, and you got it. Boom. 
it might not be the best bow in the world. It might not even be a bow that you can hunt with, or it's possibly not a bow you can hunt with. But it's a lot of fun, and the the the, the principles are the same. Of course, when you ask me, it's more of a, like if you want to get into it on a serious level. Um, but the the principle is the same: is that shoot your bow because you have fun doing it and shooting in such a way that you have fun doing it. Um, uh, I don't know what the rules are in Britain, but in Denmark you don't need a shooting range to shoot a bow. So you can stand, no, we you can stand in your backyard uh, with uh, when we once in a while have a sun, you can have the sun kissing you slightly while you lose arrow after arrow and your neighbors won't even mind because it's, it's noise free. Uh, and if they do come in and ask you what you're doing, then tell them, I'm shooting my bow, would you like to try? And then all of a sudden you've got a friend shooting a bow as well. Uh, <laughs> and no, it is highly addictive. And of course there's a difference between shooting in instinctively with a recurve or a longbow and shooting with a compound which has uh, 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 sights on it. Uh, shooting a recurve or, or a longbow is very much like shooting a shotgun. It's all about pointing. Uh, there are different techniques that, that you can learn. You go on the uh, internet and watch some of the wonderful instructional videos on YouTube. Um, traditional bow shooters are quite nice in that they really share their technique because they want it to grow. Uh, and generally, the, the, bow, the bow hunting community and bow shooting community is very open to newcomers. I find that it's, it's very much of a... Uh, of a brotherhood, which is something that we as bow shooters should definitely work hard to preserve. Um, mm. And uh, so, if you want to shoot uh, a recurve or a longbow, then 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 I would definitely recommend uh, watching a lot of videos. Um, if you want to shoot a compound bow, it's a little bit trickier because the compound bow is a very very advanced piece of machinery. Uh, it's come quite some way since uh, you guys used the longbow the last time, uh, <laughs> which uh, was sometimes around etching court, I think it was quite popular. Um, this happened and actually the, the level of innovation now is in, in the field of uh, in the field of uh, compound bows is probably the fastest in any of the shooting industries uh, different um, uh, what would we say uh, different categories um, mm. it's not happening as much with the rifles as there are with the, the compound bow every year something new comes out some new material some new things that, that changes the, the comfort and the speed uh, that said if you want to buy a compound bow then buying one used from the last two or three years, you can get a lot for your money because they're really, really good. But once you go back uh, like five or 10 years, then the bow will not be up to date with what you can get today. Um, the evolution of the bow will have happened. There will have happened so much in between that... Um, uh, you're cheating yourself out of some quite incredible opportunities. Um, so, so what you want to look for in a bow is something that you can shoot, uh, that you can manage. A lot of people go out and say, I've once seen Rambo, I need a 60-pound bow 
bow or 80 pound bow or I'm a big guy this is really macho shooting a bow I want something with heavy poundage um, actually poundage doesn't matter at all it's not about the weight that you draw it's about the speed of the arrow and modern bows even recurve bows even modern long bows uh, have a tremendous speed at quite low poundage so the only thing you will get from very high poundage is um, an injury in your back and you don't want that because you want to keep shooting <laughs> so get something with very low poundage get something from the last two three years and then get a professional to set it up for you and I, I can't stress this enough Get somebody who really knows what they're doing, not just someone you know that has one shot a bow and kind of thinks that he knows. Uh, get somebody. Are you who referring really knows what to doing. a recurve bow? What? Are you referring to a recurve bow in particular for setting up this? Uh, referring to what? Are you ref sorry? Are you referring to a, a compound bow? Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I am referring to a compound bow, but I would say that that. Whenever you, if you want to shoot a bow and if you want to start out on a success and not be extremely frustrated with it, then uh, hook up with somebody who knows what they're doing. Go on Facebook, go on the different bow forums and say, I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing, but I'm living in this area. I would love for some nerd to tell me what I should do. Um, my bet is that you will have the first three or four responses from somebody that you had no clue was actually in your backyard um, shooting a bow quite well, who'd love to teach you. And, uh, um, but, but especially with the, with the compound bow, it is a very, very advanced piece of machinery and you can achieve some incredible precision quite easily if the thing is set up right, which means the right arrow weight, the right spine, um, um, the arrow shouldn't be too soft or too hard. Um, the sight should be aligned, um, in the right way with your eyepiece, all these things. Um, oh, sorry. Yep, no, we're still here. Yeah, 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 yeah. All these things should be aligned. Um, if you do that, the reason why I'm stressing this, if you do that, you will quite fast achieve precision of like with a compound bow, 25 meters hitting golf balls quite easily. Um, and um, with the recurve and the longbow, you can it, it's it is a bit harder because you don't have any sights um but you can get some precision that you wouldn't believe was possible um quite fast if you have somebody or if you connect with somebody who can who can show you a bit of the ropes and you have the right that the gear is tuned um it is basically the same thing as with the rifle you wouldn't just pick up a rifle and start shooting at stuff you would actually have somebody going through it and actually testing and setting it up um, but, but once you, once you, once you start doing it, then set up, set up a target and, um, and just shoot as much as possible. Um, now you, you said to me when I saw you this weekend, you said, I said, oh, you asked me what I had got. Have you got mm -hmm. a compound? I said, no, no, it's a recurve. And he said, good. You said to me, good. That's where you're going to end up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> why did, I mean, I know why you said that, but why did you say that? Um, it is because like, I love shooting my compound. It's, it's, um, it's extremely efficient. Um, I only, I, I can, but I can start seeing that people who shoot compounds a lot 
they many of them end up being they they want they want a bigger challenge they want to connect even more with the target with the animal uh so they start shooting uh they start shooting recurves because it is if if what you are looking for and i I'm, I'm kind of getting to know you about this one. Um, what you are looking for is a sin experience. Then the, the, the experience of shooting a longbow or recurve is basically dynamic uh, meditation. You get so focused on your shots. You get so focused on your technique, technique and your breath and the fact that you're staring through the target that your brain just gets that low, low meditation brainwaves. Um, you you get a bit of the same with a compound. The problem is that getting really good with your compound, if you only have 25 meters or 15 meters to practice, is that you destroy a lot of arrows because your arrows start hitting the other arrows from behind. It's called a Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, yeah. The first time it's awesome. The second time it starts getting annoying. The third, the fourth, the fifth, and so forth is yeah, just frustrating because you, you're, you're throwing away 25 quid every time. Yeah, um, which also says a lot about the precision that you should expect in uh, in a compound bow. Um, it, it is quite it is quite scary once you figure out how efficient that thing is. Well, I will I will feed back to you pictures and comments once I start shooting. I think probably I'll probably I'm a bit busy this week, but next week I'm gonna get the bow out and I'm gonna start loosing arrows downrange at my target and. Uh, Actually, you might not hear from me again if I get if I just get that absorbed into it. <laughs> Companies folded. Yeah, wow. companies finished. David doesn't hear from me again, and that's it. I just just disappear into the wilderness shooting bows. It wouldn't that be lovely? Well, you're uh, you're gonna run out of arrows at some point. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> uh, you touched on this uh, very briefly uh, half an hour ago. You were talking about your. Uh, hunting school that you run and yes. uh, when I was with you you were recounting um, a particular experience with a, a student of yours who'd gone through the school and you'd taken him out hunting for his first animal and it was uh it's quite a, a touching story and and moving in the sort of the reaction and connection of the whole thing so just wondering if you wouldn't uh, mind doing us the privilege of recounting that once more yeah, it's. Uh, I must say, it's. It's uh, even with the New Zealand trip and all that. It's. Uh, it's. It's been one of my best hunting experiences this year. Um, I had a guy uh, who who kind of connected with us a couple of years. Of, uh, yeah, what was that? Two years ago, saying that he really wanted to. Uh, he really wanted to hunt. He really wanted to learn the stuff. He'd seen some of the stuff that we did on Facebook and got quite inspired. He had no background, no family, so. How could we do this? Um, and then this guy signed up on the course and he went through the hunter's education course with me and he passed with flying colors. Um, he's actually an astrophysics, so theory wasn't that hard for him. Um, he's quite annoying to teach ballistics. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've been hunting, uh, we've been hunting since and it's, it's been fun to kind of follow the, um, uh, follow his footsteps into the hunting world because it's like you get to experience everything again and he just got his uh, rifle license uh, this year and uh, hadn't been out yet so I brought him out on our property and, and 
is it is quite a hard property to 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 hunt because the vegetation is very very thick. There's there's lots of animals there, but um, uh, it gets quite quite jungly once in a while. Um, so I said, well, I'll, I'll take you out and I'll show you how I stalk, and we'll stalk the same way as I stalk with my bow. Um, which means uh, if you think you are, you're, if you if, if if you don't think you're quiet enough, you're not quiet enough. If you start thinking that you're quiet enough, you're not quiet enough. Um, so uh, he got some very stern looks, and then off we went. And um, in the end, we managed to shoot. Um, I, I just we just got on this 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 uh, tiny track in the forest. It's it's very very green and very thick. And I turned my head and I, I just whispered to him, you might not see the whole animal, you might only see the head zone, hit zone. So if you can see that, you're good to shoot. And then I turned my head and then a buck comes walking out 18 meters from us, very nice old gnarled buck. And I just put out the sticks going, shoot. And he puts the stick in, safety off. Boom, shoots it, runs off. And this was in, if it took 1.5 seconds, that's, that's, I think that's even a bit too much. It was just, boom, shoot, bam. Um, and we sat down and waited for a little bit. I was, I was quite sure that the, the shot was good. It went down quite low, but you don't want to rush things, and especially not with your first, with this first animal. So, um, I let him sit and let it sink in a little bit. And he was quite calm and collected about it. He was like, well, I don't really know how to feel about this. And uh, I thought I would feel more and I thought I would be more into it. But uh, no, this, this, was, this was pretty cool. And then we sat around a little bit more. And then I said, okay, we can go check. And we went in. We went those eight meters and checked and then found a nice patch of white, uh, whitish blood on the ground. And then I start looking at him and his whole body is shaking and his hands are shaking. And I'm saying, well, would you like to track your animal? I say, uh, yes. And then he starts walking in and it's very, very thick bush. Uh, and he starts walking, walking, walking. And uh, of course it had run, if it ran 12 meters, I think I'm overrating it. It's, it, it just went straight and lied down. And there was just blood, a very nice blood trail the whole way. And I look at him. I said, well, you feel, how do you feel right now? And he looks at me and he's got tears streaming down his face and like channels uh, through his camel paint. I always wear face paint when, I'm, when I have to get really, really close. And he was completely completely shaken um, and just to to get to experience his joy and the fact that he had achieved his goal of becoming a hunter and, and doing what he set out to do and the fact that I had the, the pleasure of being there with him when he did it that was extraordinary um, it's uh, it, it has to be one of the best hunting experiences I've ever had uh, which just goes to show that you don't actually have to pull the trigger to have a good time. Um, and we, uh, we let him sit there for a while and, uh, and just uh, sit and chill out with the, uh, with the buck and um, just sit there and, and talk to him a little bit. And then we, we brought him back uh, and we had um, 
um, we had an initiation ritual that I learned in uh, Africa and kind of adopted uh, at my home grounds, um, which is that you serve a little bit of the heart, a little bit, you give uh, the person, uh, you, you, you blood them by taking a little bit of the blood and smearing in the face. And then in Africa, in Africa if you drink some wine, um, here I have a very large uh, horn that we filled up with beer and uh, hunting schnapps and had him drink that instead. And this sounds probably very um, barbaric to some of you. Uh, it actually really, really isn't. It's very much the other way around. It's very much a way of you hold a little speech and it's very, you, this is to congratulate you on becoming hunter, becoming a part of the family and the tribe. Um, and uh, it's something that I could recommend that people do. I know that you're not in Britain, you're not that fond of all these rituals that we love doing in Scandinavia where we have our parade and the game that we line up and then have a little um, speech and then play our horn. But it actually, it gives the whole thing such a quality that you can celebrate the moment with the, this person. Um, it's not in any way degrading. It shouldn't be at all. Um, I, I'm not a very big fan of rituals where you try to humiliate the other person. Um, you can also tune the ritual to um, kind of like how the amount of blood that you would smear in the face of this person. If it was a 16-year-old little squeamish um, boy, then I might not use as much as with Jofiel who... Uh, was almost begging to have his whole face painted, um, and it, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like if I if I listen to this right now, I can see why this could come off as something completely crazy. Um, we are also slightly crazy, um, but it it is actually in the moment. It makes a lot of sense, and I've I've seen the same ritual done in Africa with a six year old girl, who it meant quite a lot to, and who took it. In her, in her stride. Uh, I've seen it done with my wife, who also enjoyed it and took it in her stride. So there's no reason why big, strong, grown men couldn't do the same thing. Um, and uh, I, I think the fact that, that, that acknowledging new hunters, that they, they become a part of the family, I think it's extremely important um, that there is some sort of threshold that you cross because shooting your first game, it is a big thing. And sometimes we tend to forget it after we shot, I don't know how many animals. Um, but that first one, it, it does actually matter. And so does the second one. And so does the fifth, like the number 500 or 600. Uh, every animal matters and it, it should be respected and celebrated. Uh, no, I'm glad you, you elaborated on that because it was exactly what I was going to ask you after you were describing the ritual is how that might look from the outside <laughs> and especially from the outside yeah. of I mean outside of the hunting community I mean we do have uh, it here to some extent you know there is a, a blooding of you know a touching of blood on the face um, it doesn't tend to be quite as, as involved as, uh, as it is in Europe and certainly not, not as involved as it is in uh, in Africa at times but it is it's still a symbol isn't it it's, it's a symbol of you know congratulations welcome you you've embraced it and you know look what you you've done and it isn't intended in any way to be disrespectful either to the person and certainly not not to the animal and it is a celebration of life more than anything else but yeah. i think it 
could and can be misconstrued sometimes. Yes, it can, and and I've uh, I'll, I'll send you the, the, the I'll show you the pictures later of uh, of the process where um, Jofiel, who's got a very big, he's a very big man. He's got a very big Viking tattoo, and he's drinking from a very big horn with blood in his face. Uh, that could be interpreted in a very wrong way, um, but it really shouldn't. We should be able to do these things and to celebrate our heritage and our and, and create create new traditions as hunters without it being some absurdity and without having to kind of say, well, this is not um, uh, uh, ultra. Uh, this is not a way of like trying to pretend that we are still Vikings. We are not. Um, which you found out since we didn't actually kill you, um, <laughs> which was probably, that's very kind of your ancestors. It was quite a big part of the Viking culture. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we we aren't we aren't Vikings, but there were things in that culture that was uh, pretty awesome that we can copy and that we can enjoy. Not the killing and raping bit, but the uh, quaffing, of, on, uh, quaffing of horns and hanging out with your mates and doing, um, doing fun stuff. Um, and uh, rowing Viking ships, that's also highly recommended. Uh, I want to try that one well, day. I, I definitely want to yeah, row in a Viking ship. I've always uh, thought that looked like that's, fun. That's another one. I think everybody needs to do that once in their life. Yeah. But but I think it's I think it's important that 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 we, we we're always talking about the political correctness of the hunting world and how we should try to be as politically correct as possible and I I definitely agree with that I don't think doing stupid stuff just just for the sake of doing stupid stuff and saying well I I can be an idiot on Facebook if I want to I really don't support that in any way. At uh, but on the other hand, I also think that it's important that we say well, we also we also have a culture, and we have things that we do that might seem strange on the outside, but so does any other culture, so does any other uh, religion, or uh, so does quite a lot of workplaces um, and uh, or communities. Um, I think uh, the first time you watch. Uh, a cricket match you know anything about cricket you'd probably think it was a slight bit weird um but but still like there's 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 culture and tradition and i think that we should be proud of them and uh and i think they should, I think they should also be acknowledged um they should be acknowledged as a part of of, of a broader culture of a broader um uh, of a broader human culture um and, and and there are some things like it's it's not it's not very it's such a basic thing, the thing that we do and the the way that we we connect with nature and I'm 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 quite sure that when the Stone Age men the first time that some boy in skins or some girl because women were hunters as well in Stone Age, uh, the first time uh, somebody killed their first game, there was a ritual. Of course, there was a ritual because we we like to make rituals. That's how we make sense of the world. Um, so so it does make sense to continue that tradition and to congratulate somebody for stepping stepping up to the plate um, and, and and being a part of a community that uh, that support each other. 
So, uh, but I, I will send yeah, you the pictures and I'll be ready for the, the storm on Facebook of people saying that we are barbaric, <laughs> crazy Vikings and uh, they won't be that much off. But, um, um, but I, I still think it's very, very important to, to, to show respect for what we do and to acknowledge that there is, there is a certain amount of blood involved in what we do. There's a certain amount of very, very basic instincts kicking in um, when, when we hunt and as a community. And that's, again, that's also why it creates such a good connection between people because like right now we are sitting and talking across the ocean and uh, you have Americans on your show, you have, you might even have French people on your show one day. Um, and <laughs> I'm not sure we do, but we maybe. Maybe. maybe, we, maybe. we certainly have a lot of Danish uh, listeners off the back of uh, having you on a few months might, ago. Might happen. And, uh, and, and the capability of connecting across vast distances with somebody where you just say, okay, you hunt. Yep, I hunt too. Cool. What do you think about this? Mm, I think it's pretty cool. Good. Um, there's there's such a there's such a connection in the hunting community between people just because they hunt, uh, and, a, and just because they can yeah. recognize each other's passion, and which actually ties very well down to what we've been doing this weekend is a um, a very big group of people who enjoy. Or, the same things and who understand that we are all different. Uh, we have different traditions and different ideas of how to hunt and how to celebrate um, our successes. But on the deep down base layer, we, we all enjoy the same things and we can all learn from each other in that, like in, in, uh, in doing what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, you've got to ask yourself the question, who is, who is more connected to the reality of getting to where we are today from our ancient ancestors, the ritual that you just described, or the person that goes into the shop and and buys their meat in a cellophane packet and polystyrene. I, I, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty easy to answer that question. Um, yeah. The the counter question would always be, but just because you've done it for thousands of years doesn't actually mean that it's a very good plan. Um, I think history has yes, a lot of examples on that. Um, so you should always be able to justify what you're doing, the traditions that you do or the, tra the traditions that you start. I think you should always be able to justify that in a modern setting. Um, yes. because the, the, we always get, people always tell us that, that, uh, well, the, the critique is always that, that you don't have to eat meat because we can substitute it now. It's not a necessity thing that we do. Um, I personally think that it is a necessity, maybe not from a nutritional point of view, but from a just the fact that we we need this connection with nature. And some of us connect with nature in a very physical way where we eat nature. And some of us connect in a very um in other ways where we spend a lot of time watching a bird or uh making a fire or something else like that. Um and uh, even though I'm not the I'm I'm not the keenest birder around, I'm actually starting to enjoy it, which has surprised me a little bit. Um, I do understand and acknowledge that somebody who's extremely passionate about birds and know a lot of things about birds, um, I can definitely learn from them. I can respect what they're doing. Um, 
But on the other hand, I think that they should also definitely respect what I'm doing if I do it right and if I uh, if I behave while doing it. Um, and then we we should also I think we should promote that it's important to think about what you're doing, but there should also be a certain amount of space for doing stuff that is uh, fun. And and doing a ritual like we did with Yofiel. Um, by the fire and all that stuff and with the horn a lot of it is just because it's fun it's celebrating life and why do we actually have a problem with celebrating life yeah just just to, to follow up on what you were saying there about people say we don't necessarily need to eat meat in the modern world i mean obviously from a nutritional value that is true because there are plenty of uh, vegans out there and and they've proved the point they... Well, I'm not sure how many of them actually look 100% healthy. I have to say, well, <laughs> and they seem to pull it. They seem to pull it off. Is my point. Um, however, I do wonder, and I would love to have somebody on who could actually verify this properly. But this is just my spec speculation in my mind right now. Is that if tomorrow everybody stopped eating meat, so that every person on the planet is only going to eat cereals and vegetables, whether we act, whether that's actually physically possible as far as the planet's concerned. I don't know if we can actually grow. Enough. I don't think there's enough protein. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Substituted protein. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Um, like the whole the whole vegan vegetarian argument is, uh, I think it's a little bit. Uh, I don't know how to. I'm, I'm trying to find out how to put this in a polite without way. upsetting people. Um, uh, I don't think it actually matters in in real life. Because it's not about that you don't have to eat meat, is that you don't have to eat meat. If you make a choice that you don't want to do something, you should be allowed to make that choice. But you shouldn't put that choice upon others. You shouldn't force other people to uh, join in on some uh, on, on on your ethics and morals just because you think it's right. Um, I would also say from a personal experience. I might be able to survive for a very long time without meat, but people around me would start having a little bit of a problem with it because um, I tend to get quite cranky, and um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm a big guy, and uh, I actually I found out that I have trouble sleeping if I haven't had meat. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good reason. Uh, on a seer, on on a on a seer, your body, it's it's I I don't when. It, when it comes to hunting, it's not the question of whether we need to eat meat or no or not, but a question of whether we whether we want to and how the meat that we eat has lived and died. Um, and I think we should definitely we should definitely be able to take that uh, discussion and um, and I mean I'm I'm totally cool with if somebody wants to be a vegan, knock yourself out. I have a good friend who used to be a vegan and then he started hunting. Um, so there is hope. So, oh, no, I, we, we met a vegetarian yes, that, that um, was actually at one of the game fairs in the UK and she's uh, now in a long-term relationship with Hunter and she was under these conceptions that hunting was cruel and so on and he took her out hunting over a course of a few months and actually took the time to explain to her what went on and now she eats meat, but she only will eat meat that he has shot or she knows exactly where it came from. Yeah, it's, it's like my mate. He's a, he's a Venisarian. That's the word. When, when all 
you want all the meat you eat is venison. It's an actual word. It, <laughs> it is an actual I'm word. Gonna, we're going to bring that in. That's awesome. Venisarian. Some of us are venisarians without knowing it because um, all our freezers are filled with meat. So that's basically only what we... Uh, but no, I, I think, on the other hand, I think that a lot of hunters end up using vegans and vegetarians as kind of this, uh, oh, vegans and vegetarians are stupid, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they, they kind of become the bad people in the hunting world, um, which I think is just as much bollocks as the other way around. I think if you, if you, if, if you really don't want to eat meat, then there's just going to be more steak for the rest of us. So... Fair enough. Have fun and uh, make up some really interesting dishes that we can go and eat when we want to have salad. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's... I got no problem with it whatsoever. No, it's, it's, it's only those circumstances it, where it's then... They then assume that everyone else should be like that. And I, there was... I cannot remember where the, when the study came out, but it was fairly recently. They, they came out with a study that said if we hadn't eaten meat historically we would have not have evolved to the point that we are right yeah. now. Um, some would say maybe that would be a good thing. But uh, yeah, basically, we wouldn't have got to where we are right now if we had been on a completely vegetative diet. Yeah, and I can highly recommend for anybody who listens in, uh, don't stop with the meat. Start eating bugs as well. I've started experimenting quite a lot with uh, eating insects. Um, you get some very interesting culinary experiences out of that. Um, also, don't uh, don't just eat the back straps and the back legs and throw the rest of it out. Uh, you can actually eat the eyes. You can eat um, the cheek, the cheeks. You can eat the brain, um, all the innards, all that stuff. It's just try to take responsibility for for how you uh, how you use the things that you like that we've shot and and try to get more out of it. Again, it's just like with rifle shooting or anything else. Just try to push your limits for what you think is possible, and you'll find out that quite a lot of things are possible. Um, from a cost standpoint, I can't recommend eating uh, eyes. Um, it's actually not very tasty, but uh, once you've done it, you've done it. Balls, on the other hand, is actually quite good. You you went into quite a, des uh, a descriptive foray of of just uh you were so you really took me by your description of what it was like to eat testicles that i am now gonna have to try it well in, in mongolia that's a, a normal thing yeah at the weekend david was explaining this to me daryl and it was <laughs> i was i was kind of chuckling and and half listening at the same time but he must have spent about i don't know like three four minutes explaining how good it was to eat testicles so I'm going to take your advice, and the next time I shoot a roe deer, in fact, the next one I shoot, I will be serving them up. I'm not sure whether I'm going to have anybody join me eating them, but I'm certainly going to try it off the back of your recommendation. Well, the force feed of eating is always... And, uh, and I, I must say, if you, uh, if you still had the opportunity of uh, going to Spain and France, then uh, eating balls is, um, is, is quite a thing. Sorry, I, I promise not to make Brexit jokes. Uh, the is not closed we're, we're, yet. We're right at the end of the podcast, so it's okay. I suppose one oh, is fine. Fair enough. No, but it, it kind of... Um, uh, I, I really think that we as hunters, uh, a lot of us are missing out on so many incredible things just because we kind of forget that 
uh, we're not done yet. We're not done uh, reconfiguring our culture. We're not done figuring out who we are as hunters because everything changes all the time. We have new opportunities. It's uh, I can't for the life of me figure out why you guys don't bow hunt, for example. And mm. at some point, I really hope that the British people and the British hunters will come around and say, well, why don't we actually do this? Why don't we just try this out, see how it fits? Uh, that's how we did it in Denmark. And we figured out that this was actually pretty cool. It worked out quite well and the animals didn't suffer and everybody had a better experience. And you become really good at stalking and you never actually shoot anything because it's really hard. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, um, and it's just that if you keep pushing your own limits, you you will you you learn so much more um, in the end about yourself. Well, we actually have a British bow hunting association. Although, as you just pointed out, we cannot bow hunt here. So I think that is going to be a plan uh, for the future to bring bow hunting back to the UK. Yeah. And to do that, I myself and my brother are going to have to, of course, go and experience it in every corner of the globe, so that we can. Yeah, you have to do it first. Yeah, yeah, we have to do it first, so that we can give it. (laughs) Yeah, informative, informative decision making. So we're going to do that first, and we're going to come back, and we're going to change the face of hunting in the UK. Yeah, I would. uh, I I will. I will join you on it, so you have second opinion as well. Good. Uh, Good. David, it has been tremendous having you on, as it, indeed it was last time. I don't know where the time has gone, uh, but we have eaten up a lot of time, and I'm sure that everybody will enjoy this podcast just as much as they enjoyed the last one with you. Uh, as always, there is so much more we could have covered, but we'll just have to have you on again in six months' time. And may- maybe, maybe we will see you later this year on a project that we're not going to tell people about quite yet. Yes, of course. That sounds awesome. Yes, um, yes it's, it's been a joy as usual. Thank you for hosting a, a really great show. And uh, thank you for bringing on uh, much cooler hunters than, uh, than me so I can kind of shine <laughs> in the light of others. That's always pretty nice. Uh, just, just, just think though, David, you've now been on twice. No one else has done that. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, just keep, uh, keep pushing your limits and uh, hit me back when you've had your balls. i will let you know david thank you very much it's a pleasure and that's it for another two weeks what a varied and interesting debate whenever i speak to david whether that be on the podcast or whether i'm just speaking to him on the phone i always leave thinking that i there is more that i need to know so Uh, that's why you'll come on again at some point (laughs) and i'm really looking forward to getting my bow out next week Yes. Okay, we're going to announce the winner. We are. We asked everybody to go onto our website, thepacebrothers.com, and enter your email address in our subscribe box. And everybody who entered in the last two weeks was going to be have the chance yeah, to, to win. To win, yeah. And it was for a Bushnell head torch. We made a little live video on Facebook about that. And all I did was I picked a number between one and whatever the number was that had subscribed and Daryl went through the list from top to bottom and picked and, out the and winner. And scrolled down picked the winner. And I picked number 14. Yep. Which was, can you remember who no, it was? No, I can't You can't, you're going to have to go and look yep. now, aren't you? Uh, well, Daryl goes and looks to see who number 14 was on the list. I can tell you that tomorrow I am going to be in the police headquarters in Glasgow for an incredibly interesting and formative podcast 
on firearms in Scotland and the UK. That is one not going to be missed, and that is going to be out two weeks after this one. Daryl, the winner is? It is CMR Carney. And all we have is an email address because it's a mailing list, and I'm not going to read their whole email out. So if you, you the beginning of your email is CMR Carney at something. Then you just won a Bushnell headlamp. Then you just won a Bushnell uh, headlamp. And you have one month to claim the prize like everyone else does. So just uh, send us a message on Facebook or shoot us an email and we will get your details off you and send that out. We told you that we were going to let you know how to enter this podcast competition. This podcast competition is for a Coldwell bipod for your rifle which ties perfectly into what we were talking about at the start of this show, which was making sure you train better. Train as you hunt, as David put it. And to enter, it is very simple. You have to. All you have to do, the Facebook users, and I would say that 80% of the people that listen to the show probably have Facebook. We will have a pinned post once this podcast is out. All you do is go to the top of the page... And then you tag two friends in in the post in the in the in the post. in the page in the and page. the page is podcast into the wilderness. Yep. So if you search on Facebook podcast into the wilderness, you'll find our page. Go on there. It'll be the tagged post. Uh, sorry, the pinned post for the next two weeks. Simply tag two friends in there, and your name will be your, your name will be entered. Now we never exclude anyone. If you are a YouTube user then all you need to do is comment on the YouTube video below. Any comment will do. And tell a friend. That would be useful as well. The point is we're trying to get more people engaged and let more people about the show. So if you are a YouTube uh, user, tell a friend at the same time. And We if, can't prove that. We can't prove we it, like but we to. would like you to do it. <laughs> Secondly, well, thirdly, actually, if you have none of these and you're listening to the show, just email us and we will put you in the draw. Podcast. Podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Yes, I let Daryl finish that because I couldn't quite remember what it was. <laughs> Podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Well, all the information you need to know is on our website, thepacebrothers.com. Simple and you can get that. everything there. This podcast is supported by the Scottish Association of Four Country Sports. They will be at Schoon this weekend along with us. Please come and say hello if you see us wandering around. Uh, they, importantly will be drawing the prize. Oh, the they have prize. an awesome competition on right now, uh, which is the chance to win a Bourne rucksack, a castrum knife, and a stalk in the Isle of Skye in the mountain range that we filmed episode one of our series. And they will be drawing the winner of that from everybody who's entered on the Sunday. So you have Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's it. From to, when this podcast, from this podcast goes in to get into that draw. And if you want to know how you can be a part of that, then you got to head to the Sax Facebook page. Yeah, head to the Sax Facebook page, Scottish Association for Country Sports. All the information's on there. And if you are struggling to find it, whatever reason, give them a call. Terms and conditions do apply. Yes, they do. So give them a call and find out. You have to be a, a member of Sax, uh, but it's a very worthy organization of being a part of. So we yes, we, we have right. actually had uh, a few people join. Uh, just to enter the competition, actually. That's fine, too. No, that is fine, but... Uh, yeah. I mean, 
it's it's a it's a great organization to be part of anyway we've they actually have members from abroad that aren't part of scot um not do not live in scotland they've got them all across europe which yeah, is quite uh pretty pretty awesome yeah just uh supporting the work that goes on here we as a last note we are actually going to be on another podcast in a few weeks time we'll give you the date Closest to the time, so check. It's our... going to be. I think it's going to be after our next podcast. So yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll, tell you we'll update you. But it is the Journal of uh, Mountain Hunting. That is the online journal, but the podcast is actually Beyond the yes. Kill. So if you're looking for them, it's a. It's actually an absolutely cracking podcast. Their so, their first guest was Donny Vincent. Yes, <laughs> uh, and we will uh, we will let you know when we're on. But I encourage you to go and check them out. In the meantime, if you just search on whatever you're listening to this on Beyond the Kill, although they're not on YouTube. Uh, I, I, I imagine our, our American listeners would have already already yeah. d- heard these guys. Yeah, they're based in Canada. Yeah. And uh, Adam is a really cool guy, and he's had some awesome guests, so go check them out. Indeed. Well, see you, in, see you in two weeks' time. Yeah, thank you very much for listening.